if everybody could turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. We've come to this verse a lot as we've studied through the book, John 20, verses 30 and 31. And rightly so, we've come to this uh, because it's John's stated kind of uh, purpose for his book, for his writing or for this communication. He says it really clearly. Not all of the books of the Bible have something like this. So it's kind of cool that we get to see this in John. Um, but um, I want to just look at that, at that verse, John 20, 30, and 31. John's book is a powerful evangelistic message. And so I want us to kind of consider that tonight. Um, and just looking at the purpose here in John 20, 30, and 31. I'll just read it again for us. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So written that you may believe and that you may have life in his name. So I'm going to read a quote from uh, John MacArthur that says that John's objective for this book is both apologetic and evangelistic. He says apologetic, the part that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you would believe that. So he gives an apologetic for that or defense for that. And it's evangelistic. And that part is that by believing you may have life in his name, that evangelistic part of it is it's good news to us, right? So it's apologetic and evangelistic. And I'd say I agree with that. On the kind of apologetic side, we've seen this whole idea developed of belief. You need to believe in Jesus. And um, John gives the, throughout the whole book, he gives signs that Jesus performed, these miracles that Jesus performed, that kind of build all the way to Lazarus being raised from the dead and Jesus being raised from the dead. And John presents a bunch of witnesses that are kind of authenticating who Jesus is. So this is kind of, I'd say, the apologetic side of things. The signs that Jesus does, um, remember we talked about, they, they don't necessarily cause belief but they may lead to belief, just like when we give apologetics to people. It's not necessarily going to make them believe. I don't know if that's the right word to say, give them apologetics, but we, we make an apologetic to them, maybe. Um, it's not going to make them believe, but it may lead to their belief. And certainly, um, it, it removes some of the barriers or, or the excuses for belief, okay? Um, even that won't make them believe. It won't make them believe even if somebody raises from the dead, right? So he's given these signs as, as kind of a, a proof. And he's given these testimonies of all of these witnesses. Throughout the book, we've seen first the book starts in chapter one with John the Baptist, where John the apostle, the writer says, he came, John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light. And throughout the book, there's multiple other people that bear witness, the Samaritan woman, she tells the people in the village, the Jewish crowds are constantly telling what has happened. Jesus' disciples telling what happened. God the Father 
Jesus says, is a witness through the works that he's given Jesus to do. He's like, you should believe this. The scriptures point to Jesus. We found out in chapter five, the Holy Spirit is a witness. We find out and will be a witness. We find out from Jesus in the high priestly prayer or, or before the high priestly prayer in John 15. Um, John, the author himself, by even writing this or communicating this is a witness, right? Even a couple chapters ago, um, John says in John 19.35, when Jesus was um, pierced in the side on the cross, John, the writer says, he who saw it, I think referring to himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you may also believe. Okay, so all of these people bearing witness that Jesus is who he says he is. He's sent from God as God's anointed and powerful Messiah King. Okay, so that's kind of the apologetic side of it. But this is this is why you should believe. I mean, look at all of this. And then there's also the side of it that Jesus provides life, that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the kind of evangelistic side. This is good news. Jesus can provide life both now and eternally. And John set even that up right at the beginning of the book in John chapter one, verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men, right? So um, Jesus is the source of life. Remember he was involved in creation. He, God breathed life into mankind. Mankind falls leading to death. Jesus enters his creation and he says, I'm once again going to create life by causing people to be born again. So Jesus is the giver of life. So because of just that purpose statement alone, many people have used this book, this gospel of John to introduce people to Jesus. So it's like a really thick evangelism track right? It's not a few pages, but it's like a, a little book of, um, that you would give to somebody or walk somebody through to say, I want you to believe in Jesus, that he's the Christ, the son of God, that by believing you'd have life in his name. So that's, that's the, the purpose of John's writing. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to get to us in, in just a minute. Another important thing, uh, two things I just want to point out briefly here we should consider, I think, how John introduces the book. So that purpose of statement at the, is at the end. At the beginning of the book, John introduces the gospel, and he does it in a way that is universally appealing. Okay? He talks about, if you remember, you can turn to chapter one, the very beginning, if you want, but he talks about Jesus being this word. Um, and word, that word in the Greek, logos, is... It's a little bit vague of a term for us and, and for even the original readers. Um, it's kind of mysterious and kind of transcendental sounding, and we can't quite grab onto what it is. But if you remember from a year ago, um, it basically means that that word is, is an explanation of something, okay? Or it's a, it's a, a manifestation of or a narration of something. And so what was Jesus, the word of God, meant to be the explanation of? But God himself, 
is the only thing that existed in the beginning of time with Jesus. He was God. So Jesus, we talked about this the first week, reveals who God is to humanity. The end of the prologue in um, chapter 1, verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, right? The only God or, or the only um, one, the only special one, unique one, who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him known. He has made him known. Jesus has made God known. That's what, that's what Jesus does here. And Jesus reveals God to humanity most clearly because he is God, right? So throughout the book, we saw all of these I am statements, which is Jesus making a claim that this God that, that the, the people of Israel were familiar with in the Old Testament who refers to himself as I am, that I am, Jesus is saying, yep, that's, that's me. And, and I'm, so I'm the, the visual representation of, and the explanation of who God, my, who God is. My very being is that. It's kind of like in the beginning of Hebrews, we um, read this verse right at the very beginning of Hebrews. Very interesting. Um, this is like a, a key verse, I think, to, to remember out of um, the whole Bible, um, a couple of verses. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So how was God made known? How did he speak through the prophets? But the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And listen about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I think just like that, John wants us to know that if we want to see who God is, if we want to understand clearly who God is, we ought to look no further than to Jesus, because Jesus has made him known. And I said in this point that it's universally appealing, because I think that most people have some curiosity about God or a higher power or some supreme, you know, existence, the universe, whatever they call it. And John starts in this gospel with, with this idea of the word, which is kind of this just transcendental idea. And then he narrows it down, narrows it down and focuses on, on this very person of Jesus, who then, now that we know that who Jesus is, now Jesus explains to us who God really is and kind of uh, hones in our understanding of who God is. Um, lastly, the last thing I just want to point out about the book here is there is a strong theme that comes up time and time again. I don't know if we drew enough attention to it as we were teaching, but the theme um, was or is that Jesus brings division or the word brings division. Um, there are three specific times that based on something that Jesus has just done or said, John records there was a division among them. There was a division among them. Again, there was a division among them. It says that in chapters 7, 9, and 10. And it seems like every section we kind of read through in this gospel, it ends with, on the one hand, those who believe, 
and those who refuse, right? Um, I don't know if you remember that, but that comes up many, many times. And John, again, at the beginning of the book, he actually sets up that theme. If you look in chapter one, uh, verse nine says, uh, the true light, which gives light to everyone or shines on everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Here it is. Yet the world did not know him. And then he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's one of the directions that people took. But verse 12, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you see this division, Jesus, as he shines light on, it, it, it draws people either into one of those two categories. D.A. Carson says this, the beginning of the book introduces us to the result of this gracious revelation of Jesus. And he says it this way, certain people and not others become children of God. Certain people and not others become children of God. Seems like a harsh reality. This is just though what John is communicating in his gospel. As the light shines, the light of Jesus shines, you either run away from it or you run to it. Kind of like Jeff pointed out last week with Peter, his proper response was to run to Jesus. Um, and that's the response that we see throughout the gospel, either that of belief or one of disbelief. And I think John is clearly pushing for those who are hearing this word um, to make a, a decision. Like you can't walk away neutrally. So that's kind of how I wanted to, to start us out before a discussion. So, so John's purpose in writing is that people would believe and find life in Jesus. And he makes that case through signs and witnesses and he appeals that in Jesus, he's the one that provides life, right? That's his purpose in writing the book. And then secondly, I pointed out that Jesus, is, um, Jesus himself presents an explanation of God, which to the world, I think, is just universally appealing. He, Jesus has made him known. Are people going to believe that? I'm not sure. But if you want to know something about God, who, who can you look to? Well, the Christians say you look to Jesus. And then thirdly, John shows that when you see the light, you have two choices. You can run away or you can run toward it. So you can see how, like, just, I mean, there's other ways to kind of summarize some of the things going on in the book, but you can see how this gospel of John is, is an evangelistic message. Like it, it very much fits in line with his purpose. I, I want you to believe and find life in Jesus by this message that I'm communicating to you.